Are you ready? Ready to transform your life and step into the person that you say you want to be. Ready to stop talking and start doing. I'm Ange, a health and fitness coach. And I'm Ashley, a Reiki master and energy healer. And we are here to help you do exactly that. And you're busy. We get that because we are too. But even with the challenges and chaos, you deserve and can live a life full of absolute joy, happiness, and purpose. We want you to join us in taking radical responsibility so that you can take everything in your life to that next level. Have the best sex of your life. Live in a body that you love. Let go of worry and stress. And live in total alignment. Your happier, healthier, and amazing life is waiting for you. Let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Transform Your Life podcast. Today's episode is part two in our two-part series that is going to be covering all the ways that you can use human design to optimize parenting every single day. So let's dive on into it. This is part two of the two-part series. All right, now we get to move to movement. So if you are following along in our cheat sheet, fantastic. It's really important that you use that as a tool and you come back because today has a ton of information. So it's important that you're marking this off on your cheat sheet so that you don't have to come back and listen to this episode as you go. So if you have not got your cheat sheet, make sure you get your cheat sheet from my website, totally free. The link is down in the show notes. Now, You are going to need your body graph for the next part. So you have your human design body graph in front of you. So for this particular part, you are going to see that there are four arrows at the top of the body graph. So there's a bunch of shapes and then there's four arrows. Okay. So of those four arrows on your body graph, you're going to be looking at the arrow that's on the left hand side and on the bottom, so the left-hand side of the body graph and on the bottom. We want to look at, is that arrow facing left or is that arrow facing right? Okay, so first of all, if it is facing left, your kid needs routine and consistency in the way that they move their body. Having a schedule with regular times is most supportive for them. Now, those that have arrows that face right in that position, they're going to do best when you mix it up. So they don't need routine or consistency. They need variety. They're going to need that things are mixed up and that you don't plan things too far in advance. If you plan things too far in advance, they're not going to be up for doing it and they just are going to do better with go with the flow when it comes to movement for these type of kids. The next thing we want to look at is on the body graph, there is a bunch of shapes. So the shapes being the big colored shapes, those represent the chakras. The one that you want to look at is the second one from the bottom. So there's one at the very base, that's your root. The one we want to look at is the one on top of that. That is called your sacral center or your sacral chakra. If that has color, your kid is considered to be a sacral. If it is white, your kid is considered to be a non-sacral. So for those that are sacral, again, that is if there's color. 
Sacrals need regular movement, play, and exercise to sleep well. They need to move their bodies in ways that they enjoy every single day. They need to use up their battery and then go to bed. If they don't use up their battery, these are the kids that are like wound for sound and super duper wired right before bed because they need to burn off all of their energy all day. Now, those that are non-sacrals, again, that means it is white. There is no color in that shape. This means that they have varying energy levels every day. So some days they may have a lot of energy and the next day they may not. So it's best that you don't push them to go beyond their energetic reserves. Teach them to listen to their bodies or they will get burnt out. If they try to be like sacrals, like if you have a couple kids that are sacrals and a couple kids that are non-sacrals, if your non-sacrals try to be like sacrals, they are going to get burnt out so quickly. Those are the kids who literally pass out on the middle of the floor while they're playing with their friends just because they've like burnt themselves so out from trying to operate like other energy types. And so non-sacrals, they need to just honor their energy. Some days they have a lot of energy. Some days they might want to be a little bit lazy. That's totally okay. As their parents, we just want to support them. They don't need to operate. Their energy does not need to operate like everybody else. It's okay if they just need a few hours to rest, relax, and chill. They will do best if they optimize their movement in that way. So you can check that off on your cheat sheet so that you know which kids are sacrals, which ones are non-sacrals, which ones need routine, and which ones are better to go with the flow. All right. So that is movement. Now we're going to move to play and sleep. So I don't know about you, but as a mom, I love when my kids sleep. I feel like that is like the sweet spot of awesomeness. We have a lot of fun during the day, but as soon as everybody's sleeping, it feels like you can finally put your feet up and relax as a parent, right? And so getting our kids to sleep is something that's super important. And I'm sure some of you guys listening feel the same way, especially if your kids maybe struggle with sleep. So I'm going to give you some practical suggestions for each of the different energy types, what's going to be best for them for play, and also what's going to be best for sleep. So let's talk about projectors first. So our projector kids should spend their play on things that truly fascinate them. So this looks like things like puzzles or maybe Legos or maybe researching something, just things that fascinate them. And a lot of times we see these are things that have to do with projects, systems, people, because they're very fascinated by that. They really want to understand how the world works and then maybe look at ways in which they can improve it. So for our projectors, they need to go to bed before they're exhausted and need an hour alone to clear out and wind down before going to sleep. They also need to sleep more than other energy types. They honestly do best with long naps and lots and lots of sleep because they don't have their own battery. It's important that we don't make our projector kids do more or be more or try to operate like the other energy types because it really is not good for their well-being. It's best to teach them to tune in what feels good to their own bodies. So if your projector kid says like, hey, I just want to be alone for like a couple of hours or I just want to like lay down for a couple of hours or just want to read for a couple of hours. As their parents, you can teach them that that's okay. It's okay that they honor what they need in those moments. And we want to make sure that they can tune into that. They also do really great with long baths before bed. Really beautiful for projector kids to 
not race through the bedtime routine to really have that full hour to unwind, to have a good bath, and then settle into sleep that way. Now, what about our manifesting generators? These kids need a lot of freedom, play, variety, and creativity. As their parents, it's important that you allow them to try lots of different things and then quit if they get bored of something while they're playing. So what this looks like often as parents is conditioning. We often, if if we've spent money on something or if a kid, we want them to play a certain sport or we want them to be in a certain activity, we often don't want them to be quitters, right? So conditioning says, oh, if they quit, then they're going to quit everything. Okay. So what we can do is have those conversations about you can't quit something on a bad day, right? So maybe they're playing a sport and they've had a bad day. So you can have a conversation that says, hey, you know what? We're not going to quit it on a bad day. Let's wait till we're back to having a good day and then maybe have another conversation about it because sometimes it can just be in the moment. But it's really like maybe they started a puzzle and they don't want to finish it. You pushing them to finish it just because isn't supportive for their energy. They really should have a lot of variety, a lot of a lot of freedom. So if they don't want to do it anymore, you can really be very supportive by just allowing that to be. They get bored super easily. They might start like four different things at once. Like I was saying, they might have lots of balls in the air. And that's really it's important as their parents to support them. They're going to move quickly and often want to pivot to something new. So as their parents, you can be really supportive to have lots of new, exciting or challenging options that are available during their playtime. And they're going to want a lot of choice because they're manifesting generators. So allowing them to pick what they want to do or take the lead, that's really supportive for them. Now, manifesting generators need to use up all of their energy in a satisfactory way. And then they may also need an hour to wind down. And that for them might not be winding down in the same way as the projectors with the bath. They might need to physically move their energy. They might need to jump on the trampoline for a half an hour. They might need to do something that's active if they haven't used up all of their energy. If not, they're going to be quite restless or even have anxiety trying to go to bed. So giving them that full hour to really use up the energy and then move into wind down is really supportive for them. Now, for our generators, it's important that them that they do things that light up their souls, as well as activities that connect to the physical body. So generators, they really thrive with things like arts and crafts, dance, hiking, a sport, anything that really uses their senses is incredibly supportive for generators. They often struggle knowing what they want to do, and they often struggle to make decisions unless they have specific options. So the way that this shows up for generators all of the time is, I'm so bored. There's nothing to do. I don't know what to do. Mom, what should I do? And so having some options will really help them. And instead of just saying like, figure it out, you can give them some specific options or even create a list with them so that they can go through all of those things. Then they'll use their sacral or guttural response to be able to decide yes or no based on what their body is telling them. They too, like the manifesting generator, need to use up their energy. Otherwise, they feel anxious or restless. The thing for generators is they often do not need to unwind. As soon as they're tired, it's important that they go to sleep. And so they may not need that full like unwind seven step bedtime process. They might be able to 
give you a kiss goodnight, maybe do a couple things from the bedtime routine and then be able to go to bed as long as they've used up their energy effectively throughout the day. Then we move to our manifestors. So our manifestor kids need a ton of freedom and flexibility when it comes to their play within safe guidelines. So you're not allowing your manifestor kids to do absolutely anything. You can create the parameters and the safe guidelines so that it ends up being a successful playtime for them, right? They're going to be naturally very independent and manifestor kids often have a really hard time doing what other kids want to do while playing. They can often struggle because freedom is like such a big theme of their life. They kind of want to do what they want to do. And that might even mean going off from the group and doing their own thing and maybe not playing with other kids just because that feels good. So instead of pushing conditioning to say you have to play with others, if they want to play by themselves, we can really support that and allow that to be. Now, Manifestor kids often fall into either people pleasing or super rebellious. And as their parent, you can help guide them back to that sweet spot. And the wording that that kind of looks like is I'm doing things because I want to and I love and I respect you. Right. And so allowing them to do things that they want to do, but also I love and respect you. So it doesn't become this I'm doing things because I want to do them. It's I'm doing things because I'm standing on what feels right for me and still loving and respecting those around me. Now, when it comes to going to bed for manifestors, they should go to bed before they are tired. And because they have so many ideas, they really need to have some sort of way to clear out all of their ideas before they go to bed. This could look like talking to you about all their ideas, writing down all their ideas, But if not, their brain is going to wake them up with their million ideas throughout the night, which is not what you want. So they need that time to really clear out those ideas so that they can effectively rest. Now, reflectors. Reflectors, they need a lot of alone time and time in nature for their play. Because they're super sensitive to environments, it's important that the environments that they're in feel healthy and good for them. And same for people. They're going to be really sensitive to certain people. And they're going to do best when they go to bed when they are very tired or before they are very tired. Reflectors can sometimes also do really well sleeping alone. So it's important that you encourage them to try that out and see how that feels. So encourage them to try out different sleep environments, different sleep, yeah, sleeping in. Maybe they may notice and feel like if their bed is facing one way, they sleep differently than if their bed is sleeping a different way, right? And so just allowing them to try out that and feel out those environments will be most supportive for those that are reflectors. All right, now we move to our emotionals versus our non-emotionals. So when it comes to these two, in human design, about 50% of us are emotionals and about 50% of us are non-emotional. So your kid will be considered an emotional if their solar plexus center is colored. Now, that probably sounds confusing if you've never looked or dissected a human design chart, but the solar plexus center, the one that we want to be looking at when you're looking at all the shapes on that body graph is the one on the right hand side. So at the bottom, there's going to be one that's at the base. So that one's your root. And then there's the one on the left and the one that's on the right on the next level up. So that next level up on the right-hand side is your solar plexus center. If it is colored, your kid is considered an emotional. 
Okay. If it is white, your kid is considered a non-emotional. So we're going to talk about the emotionals first. So what in the world does it feel like to be an emotional kid or even an emotional adult? So those who are considered to be emotionals have a constant wave of emotional highs and lows that they experience at complete random. This is kind of like waking up on the wrong or the right side of the bed. And what happens is they have an emotional response that may build up slowly or feel all of a sudden and all consuming. Really because there's no rhyme or reason to it, it feels as though it's out of nowhere. And often as an emotional kid, they have no idea what caused the emotion. So when we look at them and go, well, what made you feel this way? They have no idea. They may be at a high in their wave or at a low in their wave, just like the way that the water and the tide goes in the ocean. And they really don't have language because they're not sure. And so to an outsider, it can sometimes look like an overreaction because what we're looking at is we're looking at the circumstances and then determining if the reaction is too big or too little for what it is that just happened. So because that happens, they're often told, calm down, don't be so emotional because we don't often have that language or that understanding of it. And they, as kids, really can't explain what it is that's going on. They can feel like their emotions are then a bad thing, right? So from the outsider, you tell the kids it's an overreaction. So what happens is kids teach themselves to deny or hide their feelings. And this happens, and we often see this in adults, is that lots of people walking through life that are a little bit numb and most things are not really influencing them because they're denying or hiding their feeling and really silencing their most important inner compass, which is their emotions. So what happens with our support of them is that we can really give them this information, give them this tool and be really understanding and supportive in a way that maybe nobody else is in their life. And that's really important, I think, as their mom or their dad. Now, if they are an emotional kid, another thing we see is that they may try to identify the emotion that they are experiencing as like a defining part of themselves. So, for example, they're feeling depressed. So they may feel like they have depression and then they hold on to the emotion instead of letting it process and moving through it. So I'm feeling depressed right now. I'm really feeling depressed versus saying, I have depression and staying in that state. They're two different things. And so helping our kids move through that and being able to use those words and that language is really supportive without them feeling as though they have to always feel defined by that particular emotion or that particular state. So how do we support those that are our emotional kids? So how do we support them? Number one, don't rush them to move through their emotional wave. See them, validate the emotion, and then just simply ride the wave alongside them. Number two, encourage them to take time to process something before they move into action, but avoid minimizing the feeling itself. And number three, once you notice that they are calm enough to talk about it, ask them to share more about what they're feeling. So what this looks like is I see that you're really sad right now. Kid might say, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, I am. It's okay that you're feeling really sad, buddy. 
if you're validating it, and then you can just let them ride that wave. And sometimes you could say something like, do you want to be alone right now? Sometimes they know and sometimes they don't. Maybe they might want some physical touch or some closeness. But you just being there with them and allowing them to have the emotion and letting them know it's safe to express the emotion is huge for emotional kids. And then when you let them just take the time to process, you're not rushing them to like, we need to get through this sadness because we got to leave or you need to get through this sadness because we got to do this. You're just allowing that to be. And then once they're calm enough, just, hey, bud, do you want to talk about it? you want to share more about what you're feeling right now? Sometimes they will. I don't know. I just feel really sad right now. And I don't know why. It's okay. You don't need to know why you feel sad. I get sad all the time too. We all get sad sometimes. It's okay that you're sad. Okay. You don't need to ask the questions. You can just allow that, see it, validate, and be there. Then we move to our non-emotional. So again, we're looking at that same solar plexus center and we're seeing if there's any color there. If there is color there, they were the emotional. But if it is white, they are what's called a non-emotional in human design. So looking at that bottom right-hand shape, is it white? Now, what does it feel like to be a non-emotional kid? So these kids, their natural state is cool, calm, and collected. They only feel things when something is happening in their world that makes them feel a certain way. Non-emotionals are also incredible experts at picking up on what others are feeling, and they're incredibly empathetic at really knowing what others might be going through. Now, their mood, it can change in a second depending on who walks in the room, what room they're in, the movies or books they're reading, or the conversations that they engage in. And because of this, they experience these sudden changes in their emotional state, But often, they don't have the self-awareness to know that it's not their own emotions that they're experiencing. And so what they do is they really carry around the burden of other people's feelings and have no idea why it won't just go away. They don't know that it's not actually their own emotions, that they're carrying other people's emotions because of the way that their human design chart operates. So how do we support these kids? So... The way that we can support the non-emotional kid or those that have that area of their chart that is white, when you notice their big feelings, ask them to describe the feeling and discuss where it may be coming from. Because different than our emotionals, there's always a cause. So ask them, did anything happen? Where were you? What was going on in the environment when the feeling came on? Next, it's important to remind them that they're not responsible for other people's feelings when other people are maybe feeling big things. It's not our job to carry their big feelings. And I love using what's called this backpack analogy that I learned about. So for our non-emotionals, they start the day with like this empty backpack and every emotion they encounter throughout the day is like a small stone that gets put into their backpack. So maybe they have a conversation with a friend and then a little stone. Oh, that must be really hard for my friend, Emma. And then maybe they have a conversation with their dad and then their dad's really stressed out at work. So they add in five more stones and 
If they never empty out their backpack, it eventually becomes too heavy for them to carry and they won't be able to make a step forward. And so if the goal is to walk alongside like the friend Emma and and the dad, it's important that they keep their own backpack light so that they can support those that they're walking with. And kids seem to really resonate and understand that piece, especially when they can start applying that to their day when they're like, oh, that was a stone that I added in there. Oh yeah, I am putting in a few stones from my brother or from my dad. And then the way that we can support them is give them ideas on how they could empty out their backpack. So these are things like having a bath, having a shower, moving their body, maybe talking about it writing about it, or having a dance party. So they need to use those tools to empty out their backpack. Or the next day, it's already heavy and they're starting their day with a backpack that is not light. So they won't be able to support those around them. All right. Next, we are talking about environments and sensitivities. So for these, we are looking at these six different environments and what they might need or be sensitive to based on their human design chart. So first of all, we are looking at our caves kids. So for our caves kids, they need to feel safe and in control. So how do we support that? Number one, you can use a closet to get a quick therapeutic reset. That's really good for caves people if they're feeling like they just need a little bit of a reset. Going into a closet, closing the door feels really good. Caves kids need to spend more time in cars, especially when it's moving. It is supportive and meditative for those that have caves in their chart. To support them, you can create a cozy little spot like a fort or a corner chair. All of that feels really good for these kids. Spending time in basements on a cozy couch with a warm fireplace and a bunch of blankets. That's so, so good for Caves Kids. The other thing is when you guys are dining out, booths are really good for Caves Kids because that protects their backs. If their backs are to be exposed, they often find that their energetic system feels really jarred. They also hate being spooked or scared So that's good information for them to know, especially if their siblings like to like spook or scare them. Just knowing that that's really, really jarring for them is a good piece of information. And then lastly, you want to have them sit in the back of the room whenever they can, as that's going to be the most supportive way for their energy to be optimized. Now, let's move to markets, kids. Those that are markets, they need options so that they can be selective. So these kids need to experiment to really discover what their specific likes are. So it's very unique from one kid to another. But in general, they thrive in places that are both comforting and stimulating. The way that you can kind of play around with this for market kids is can put on different types of music from different cultures and then just see what lights them up or what feels best. Play around with textures and fabrics and let them know what feels best, especially with their room. You can really play around with the options that they love. The other thing for market kids is they often thrive in any spots where like ideas are being exchanged or information and goods are being exchanged. So if you think about like a market environment or places like coffee shops, hotel lobbies, or even like an open office space, all of that's really good. They they like to have that exchange of energy. Then we move to our mountains kids. So these kids need to be able to hear themselves think so that they can gain perspectives. And so for these 
kids, they may need to retreat to higher elevations or even climbing a tree, maybe being in a bedroom that's on an upper floor. All of that feels really good for those that are mountain kids. They also need time to disconnect from the family, from the classroom and from the community around them because that's going to provide them with clarity to be able to view things in a better way. The other big thing for mountains people is that they need oxygen intake. Singing and breath work are incredibly powerful tools and you can integrate that from a young age with your kids. The other thing is if they're feeling unwell, so maybe they're feeling a little bit sick, if you move them to an upper floor or even to that higher elevation, it can be really rejuvenating for their energy, which is gonna help them heal quicker. They also need fresh air, Things like taking hikes or any sort of outdoor specific activities are going to feel really supportive for them. They need travel and outdoor getaways. And then whenever they're out in public, they're going to do best sitting where they have the widest view of the space. That is best for their energy. Then we move to Valley's Kids. Valley's kids need to be close to where the action is happening. They love to people watch and they love to watch the world go by. So taking them to those kind of places is really good for them. They also love to go to events where information is being exchanged because they love soaking up knowledge. They're going to thrive in places with amazing acoustics. So places where sound carries really well. Now, for these kids, they need to avoid underground or basements that really doesn't do very well for their energy And they will thrive if they use headphones so that they can get close to the action or sound. Now, for Valley's kids, when it comes to travel, they're going to do better with road trips versus flying to a destination, which is just all good information to help support those four different environments for kids. Now, there's two more. So our next one is diving into our kitchen's kids. These kids will thrive when they are surrounded by creative energy and community. They should spend time in places where they may run into people that they know, maybe at parks where their friends might be or specific stores or specific restaurants, anywhere where they might run into people, they're going to thrive in that environment. These kids need the right community. So if you can focus on living or being in communities that uplift them, you're going to notice that their energy really does well. Kitchen kids should spend a lot of their time in like open concept spaces instead of spaces that are sectioned off. You will really notice that when there is that sectioning off, they almost feel like an energetic disconnect, which is not supportive for them. They love, love, love working together. It is really deeply restorative. So if you can prioritize this as a family or even prioritize this in their life, You're going to really see that they get lit up, that they feel good. They really love working as a team. And lastly, kids that are kitchen kids love to spend time cooking up something new in a creatively inspiring space. So this could be, yes, an actual kitchen, but it could also be cooking up something new in maybe a class that they go to, or maybe they're going to be creating something within their classroom environment. They really love being in spaces where they can create together in a team. 
Lastly, we have our Shores kids. These kids need spaces that combine two different environments or two different elements. So you want to think about like indoor, outdoor, maybe the combination of fire with earth or water with land. The combination is what makes them thrive. So these kids should watch the sunrise or the sunset as often as possible. They will thrive when they have plans to be around other cultures or trips around other cultures. They also should spend a lot of time by windows or in canoes or in boats. All of that's really good for Shores kids. If you can create some sort of indoor outdoor space, that's going to be really recharging for their soul. Something like a porch or a deck or a sunroom or even spaces that combine two of the elements. This could be in either their school or their home environment. So you want to think about the combination of maybe air with water, maybe earth with water, fire with air. How can you really bring those elements into both their school and their home environment? And lastly, Shores kids often need to pace or rock out their energy. So that looks like maybe swaying their body back and forth. And you as their parent can encourage them to do that often so that they can use up their energy each and every day. Then we move to digestion. So in digestion, we're again coming back to those arrows. So what you'll see on the body graph is those four arrows Two are on the left and two are on the right. The one that we're going to be looking at for digestion is the one on the top this time. So last time we were looking at the one on the bottom for movement. The one on the top is for digestion. And again, the thing we want to be looking at is, is that arrow facing to the left or is that arrow facing to the right? If it's facing to the left, again, similar to movement, they're going to need routine and consistency in the way that they eat. These kids have a very active brain, and if they undereat, it will actually hinder the development of their genius. So they should have a food regimen that's the same or similar from one day to the next. And if they have that consistency, you'll actually see that it eliminates stress and overthinking for these kids. You really want to automate their nutrition so that their brain can have the freedom to focus on other things. Now, if that arrow is facing to the right. So our right arrow kids, they are the opposite of routine and consistency. They are going to do best when they do not hold on to any fixed timing or schedules. Some days their brain literally just is not ready to take in food. And so it's important that you don't force it. It ends up draining their batteries when you try to get them to stick to specific meal times. It's key for you to teach these kids to really pay attention to their own hunger cues and to stop when they're full. So sometimes that might mean there's a few mouthfuls left on their plate, but they need to learn how to tune into that for themselves and to really go with the flow each day based on how they're feeling. Now, one big key thing for these kids is that because that arrow is facing to the right, these kids were not designed to be consistent. So what we can do is allow them to be inconsistent and allow that to be okay. What does this look like? We want to create a go with the flow feel to their life so they can still be somebody who does something on a regular basis, 
without it having to be every single day or without it having to be every single week. They are going to have some weeks where maybe they do something all of the time and maybe the next week they don't. Their energy is designed to work in that way. They will experience so much more success and peace in their world if they go with the flow with that part versus feeling as though there's something wrong with them when it comes to their ability to do something consistently. Now let's move into what the different digestion types are. So the way that I like to teach this is start experimenting with this piece of information in your home and with your kid and see how it feels. For some things, they stick really well and they feel really good. And for other things, maybe they don't resonate and that's totally okay. Now we're going to go through each of them here. The first one is consecutive appetite. For this, my suggestion is that you experiment with eating one ingredient or one food group at a time. The simpler that these kids eat, the better. Then we move into alternating appetite. So again, quite simple for these kids, but they should eat smaller, more simple, maybe two to three ingredient meals. And these guys really thrive best when their diet is focused heavily on plants. So both of those have to do with simple meals, one of them just being one ingredient or one food group at a time and one being just a couple combined. The way that that could look is maybe they eat all of the potatoes on their plate first and then they move to the broccoli and then they move to the chicken. Not to say that they're not all going to be on the plate, but just the way in which it's consumed and then see how that feels for them. Then we move into open taste and closed taste. So for those that are open taste, it's important that they eat seasonally, honoring their specific preferences. It's actually healthy for these kids to eat the same things over and over and over. You're going to notice that they're going to go through phases where they can't get enough of something for months on end. So the more that you can encourage that, the more that you free up a lot of the energy in their brain so that they can focus on their genius instead of stressing about food. Trusting that they're getting everything that they need based on this being their digestion type is a big part of helping them thrive. Closed taste. Now for these guys, again, it's healthy for them to eat the same meals over and over and over, but these kids also won't want to try new things. I have closed taste as well. As a kid, I didn't really eat a ton of different things, but then as I've evolved, I've introduced a lot more things. So often for these kids, as they grow older, they're actually going to have really incredible instincts that they're going to be able to look at foods and know if they're a good fit for them and know if they're going to be good for their digestive system just because they have that instincts within them. So just encouraging that and knowing that that's going to be supportive is a good piece of information. Then we move into the temperature of the food. So we have hot food and cold food. So for those that have hot food, they are to consume warming foods because their bodily system is on the cold side. So they should minimize frozen foods and beverages and then add in things like saunas, sunlight, hot baths and fireplaces because this is going to help these kids think more clearly and learn their best. Then there's those that are cold foods. So these guys, they got a hot, warm bodily system. So they need cooling foods to balance that out. They're also particularly sensitive to hot environments and may overheat mentally or emotionally. 
to help balance this out, they're going to need things like cold showers and baths and swimming, air conditioning, and just getting outside for fresh air. All of that's going to be really supportive for kids that are cold food. Then we move into calm touch. So for those that are calm touch, food is really, really soothing for them. So they need to eat their meals in peace, either around people that they feel relaxed with or alone. It's also important that these kids are encouraged to eat slowly and calmly. And to learn best, these kids cannot be rushed and they need to move through their days as easy paced as possible. So that's calm touch or calm atmosphere. Then we move into nervous touch or buzzing atmosphere. So these guys are kind of the opposite. These kids should snack on something light before dinner, things like carrots with dip. And they really need to have a little taste of the food while it's being prepared because this is going to prime their body to start digesting. They do great when they are around buzz and activity. And so if there's even just buzz, maybe there's music playing or something that's going on in their environment, that's actually really good for them. Even when they're trying to learn, they digest really well when there's buzz in the atmosphere. Then we move to those that are high sound and low sound. So high sound kids, they do really good with listening to music, podcasts, TV, or even having a conversation while they eat. Their system needs stimulation from sound to prep it to digest food or take in information. And that's one of those things that with conditioning, you may have thought like, oh, no, we better not ever have them eat with the TV on or while listening to music, but you'll actually see that these kids eat and take information better when there is sound in their environment. Now low sound. For these kids, their system needs to eat in peace and quiet. And I have two kids that are this, and this is so, so true for them. Because when there is too much sound or noise, these kids get overly stimulated and then they can't eat think or digest properly. So just being really mindful that sound is something that they're really sensitive to will help them digest and learn at their best. And then lastly, we have direct light and indirect light. So for those that are direct light, they should make breakfast their biggest meal of the day. And then when it comes to learning, they will do best when they are in a bright lit environment. Brightness is going to turn these people's brain and body on so that it can function at its optimum. And then indirect light, they're a little bit the opposite. So make dinner the biggest meal of the day. They're going to need soft lighting in order to digest best and also think best. And anytime during the day, they're actually resting and processing. And then in the evening is when they're developing their gifts. And so for that reason, during the day, you don't want to have them spending a lot of time eating because that's when they're supposed to be resting and processing. So with all of those different types for digestion, I invite you to really experiment. See how it feels for you. See how it feels for your kids. How does it feel for your family? There's going to be bits and pieces of all of that that you really feel like you can apply. And my suggestion is that you just give them a go and see what works and what doesn't work. Now we move into the personality profiles. Now, if you're following along on the cheat sheet, you're going to be checking off two numbers here with the personality profile. There'll be a number in the front and a number in the back. The first number is how you or your kids see themselves or oneself. And the second number is how the world sees your kid. And so 
what I'm going to teach you here is how can you love and support each of the different personality profiles. So you'll check off two numbers based on what you're seeing in the human design chart for your kid. So first are those that have a one. Now, it does not matter if the one is in the first position or if the one is in the second position. So if the one is in the first position, it just means this is how they see themselves. Second position just means that it's the way that the world sees them. So our ones, they are the knowledge seekers. So to love and support them, you really want to help them indulge in their curiosities. They're going to ask you so many questions. So as their parent, you want to respond to their questions and support their need to go deep. They are really here to acquire knowledge and study the world, including people's behaviors. And the best way that they learn is through studying, asking questions, and Googling absolutely everything. So that is your one, that is the knowledge seeker, and that's how you can support them. Number two are our natural geniuses. So to support and love them, you want to celebrate and call out their gifts because honestly, they do not often see that their natural talents are brilliant and they're going to need you to remind them of their talents. That the twos also need a lot of alone time to relax, be creative and just do their own thing. They like to be in their own space and not be interrupted. And the best way that they learn is through following what naturally comes to them and then teaching what they already know. Then we move to our threes. So the threes are the experimenters. Now, one thing I need to let you know is if there is a six in your kid's profile, they are actually a three until the age of 30. So you're going to want to listen to this piece because for the first three decades, they're in their phase of being a three. So for three the experimenter, it's important that you offer unconditional support and encouragement because these guys are here to fail forward. They are going to learn through trial and error. And so they're going to need support on their failures and on their experiments. They are designed to jump in, try things out and bump into new discoveries along the way. The best way that they learn is through physically trying something. I like to use the example that for these sorts of kids, even if you were to tell them that the fire is hot, they're going to have to actually touch the fire to have their own real life experience and then come back with their findings. Let's move to the four. The four is the people person. So the way that you can love and support these kids is by offering intimate, deep, and authentic connection. These kids also really need stability in their life, and they are gifted at bonding with people and building close relationships. The best way that they learn is through creating connections with the right people, and that's going to lead them to the greatest opportunities in this lifetime. So just encouraging them to really focus on their friendships, to build those relationships, that's going to really help them thrive. Then we move to our fives. Our fives are our superheroes. They are our problem solvers. These kids are here to create workable solutions and help other people. They love to help, whether it's strangers or loved ones. They just want to make everyone happy. But the thing that we need to guide them with is we don't want them stepping in and fixing everybody's problems or fixing just for recognition and approval. They'll end up depleting their own energy and we just don't want that. So just help teach them that they don't have to solve everybody's problems or they don't have to save the day all the time. They can pick and choose which ones are really worth their energy. 
And the best way that they connect with others is through universal problems and the solutions that they help create. Now our sixes. Our sixes are wise souls, but they don't remember it until they are 30. So again, if they have a six and the kid is under the age of 30, you're going to want to go back and listen to number three because that's where they were until they were 30. Now, after the age of 30, these kids will remember all of their wisdom. So the way that you can foster a strong relationship is really by going to them for advice, wisdom, and perspective on things. These kids are here to guide others into their most authentic selves, and they feel best when they get space for observing and being objective. So they'll have that natural tendency, even though they're a three, they're going to have that natural tendency within them to help guide others. They may just sometimes, because they're in their experimental stage up until the age of 30, might struggle with helping the wrong people and having to learn the lessons of that. And that's how you support and show love to each of the different personality profiles in human design. Then we move to our very last piece of today's information, and that is decision-making. So for decision-making, you're going to notice that there are a variety of ways that you might be able to make decisions. And often, we are conditioned to believe that our mind is the best way to make decisions. And then in the self-help world, you may have been conditioned to say, like, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. But we can use the lens of human design to really help our kids make the most effective and most aligned decisions by following what is their authority. So we're going to talk about our emotions or our solar plexus authority first. So for those that are a solar plexus authority, they're designed to make decisions based on emotions and they are going to need time to make their best decisions. So for them, they need to take at least 24 hours to make big decisions so that they can come back to a place of being neutral. So if you remember from earlier in today's conversation, they go through those highs and lows and we want to make sure that they come back to neutral before they make the decision about whether or not it is right. If they make a decision when they're in a high or a low, they might not make the correct decision. So you can teach them to sleep on it, get back to you, tell their friends that they're going to get back to them on something. But you really don't want to race these kids to make decisions. They cannot make them quickly if they are to be the most aligned. Then we move into our sacral authority. So for these kids, they're designed to make decisions based on their gut. That immediate gut feeling is the right decision for them. So the best thing that they need is options. If you remember from earlier, I was talking about how we want to make sure that we are giving our kids that have sacral authority, yes or no questions. So you can say, hey, do you want pizza for dinner? Hey, do you want sushi for dinner? Then their gut can tell them an immediate yes or no. And if you teach them on those everyday things, those small little decisions, you're teaching them to trust their gut on those bigger decisions. And as they become teenagers and adults, they're able to go to their gut and get that instant reaction, that hell yes, that hell no. They're going to learn to trust that versus overthinking it with their mind or getting very convoluted by maybe outside sources. Then we move to those that are our splenic authority. So 
For kids that are splenic authority, they're designed to make decisions based on their intuition or their instincts. So instantly, they can trust their instincts because it will tell them if something feels right or wrong. So it might not be in the gut, but it might be that they feel like a little chill down their back, or it might be that they just feel icky about something, but there's something within them that is telling them it's either a yes or a no, but they like the sacral authorities do have that instant immediate reaction. The thing is they have to get quiet enough to be able to hear it. And so for these kids, they need to have trust in their instincts. That means that often they might not be able to justify why something feels right or why something feels wrong, but they might be able to tell you that, oh, my instincts are just telling me that that's not right. So as their parent, instead of trying to make them have to justify that, you teach them to trust that. They don't need to justify that. Your instincts are saying that it's a no. That's okay. Let's just go with that. And that's how you can support them with their decision-making for that. Next is those that are the G-center or self-projected authority. So these kids, they need to speak out loud by talking it out when it comes to making their decision. For them, they really need a sounding board. They are here to make their decisions based on their values. And when they speak it out loud, you and them are both going to be able to tell by their tone and them talking it out what it is that is going to be right for them. But it needs to pass through that throat chakra and come out so that they can make those best decisions. And then we have our ego authority. These kids are designed to make decisions based on their heart. So if they can trust their heart, they are going to make the most aligned decisions for them. So to make their best decisions, they need empowerment, confidence, and trust. So as their parent, you can empower them to trust their heart. You can empower them by giving them the confidence. You can empower them to trust what it is that feels right within them. And again, that might come quickly or that might be a long process of trying to figure out what it is that their heart truly desires, but that's how they're designed to make their decisions. And then last, we have our mental authority. These kids are designed to make their decisions based on their observation. And only two people have this as their authority. And yet so many of us make our pros and cons list and come back to our mind and logic when it comes to making decisions. Now, for those that have this as their authority, the best way for them to make their decisions is to gather all of the details take some time, take some space, and then go to their favorite environment. In that environment, they're going to be able to determine what it is that feels best for them. So looking at all the pros and cons, considering what might be the possible outcomes, then making their decisions from there. And so that time and that space is really important for mental authority. And as you can see, There is not just one way to make decisions, and yet so many of us are going through life trying to make our decisions in the same way. And unfortunately, conditioning, especially as adults, has really maybe seeped into programming. Maybe there was parts of tonight's presentation where you were like, absolutely not. That is not right. I do not agree with that. And that's totally a-okay. This beautiful system is a process of 
deconditioning what we may believe to be right or true. And then for our kids, kind of empowering them because they might not have as much conditioning yet. They might not have had as much influence. And especially you as their mom and dad can really empower them so that they can fully go through life as they've authentically been designed to be. And with human design, it's such an incredible tool and an incredible lens to be able to connect all of the dots of this. So it has been an absolute privilege and an honor to share all of this with all of you. And if you're wanting to go a little bit deeper, I know tonight we went through a lot of information in this episode. I know it's a lot to kind of digest and dissect. And that's why I just wanted to offer a couple of things that might be supportive as a next step after you get through tonight's presentation. So one thing that might be supportive is getting a human design reading. A human design reading could be just for you or perhaps for your entire family. And what we do in either a solo reading or in a family reading is we really do a deep dive with me putting together a 30 page document and a 90 minute presentation where I'm looking at your entire chart and looking at the ways that you can optimize both your personal and your professional life by pulling forward things that you can do every day in your relationships, in your communication, with your routines to really help you thrive in all areas. And then when we look at your family, we look at not only everybody as an individual, but also the dynamics of the family as a whole. So what are the ways that you guys are meant to work together synergistically? And what are some of the areas where maybe there might need to be a little bit more compromise? And when we look at the families, it's really me creating some blueprints for you to understand all of the other people that maybe live underneath the same roof as you. Maybe you want to understand your husband a little bit more and understand the way that he works and the way that he thinks and the way that he's designed to operate. And when we have that kind of blueprint and that kind of understanding, we no longer have as much confrontation or conflict because we're able to accept and see those, especially those that are really close to us with a lot more love and a lot more compassion because we can see, oh, that's just how you're designed. And how do I work with that, right? And so it's gonna give you the self-awareness and also the self-awareness and awareness of those around you. And that's the beautiful part about getting a reading for you and your family. Those can be done in person in Listable, Ontario, or the other option would be that we do them through Zoom. Now, second, if tonight you're like, you know what, I'd love to get a reading. What I'd really love is just for you to break this all down for my kids. I'm offering a parenting cheat sheet with a mini reading, and that is going to provide you with a breakdown of everything for your kids, everything that we talked about tonight, as well as a mini reading where I'm giving you the very specific things for your kids so that you can really start putting this into practice. So today's presentation and information was just an overview, and there may be bits and pieces that were overwhelming or confusing. And what a lot of parents find is with the mini reading and with the parenting cheat sheet and just having the information for that one specific kid, for a couple specific kids, it's going to give you a clear cut blueprint on how you can really create more ease and flow within your family. So if either of those things interest you, you will find information 
below at the links as well as on my website. Now, that is it for today's extra long podcast. I don't know if we've ever had one that's been almost this long in length, but I want to thank you all. If you're still with me and you've done this all in one shot, I'm proud of you. You had to break it up, mommy or daddy, and do it in a few. That's A-OK too. If you have any human design questions, fire me up an email, connect with me on Instagram. Or if you have somebody that you know would love today's episode, feel free to share it. I love when this information just gets out to more people. I do see it as a big aha, a big piece that can help us understand and have more compassion for all those that are around us. Lots of love. I will see you guys next time. Bye.